There's an old hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide thyself in thee. Welcome to the ancient hiding place of Petra here in the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. This is a place that tourists come to visit from all over the world because it is a World Heritage Center and one of the seven wonders of the world. But is Petra a hiding place for events soon to happen in the future? This generation has seen something that the Jewish people have waited 2,000 years to fulfill. They're now back in their holy land, the land of Israel. Yet, day and night, we read and hear the incriminating accusation, occupied territory, occupied territory. Well, the truth is, the Jews are occupying, but it's their own land, the historic land of Israel, in the fulfillment of so many Bible prophecies. Yet, the UN's constant condemnation of Israel is also fulfilling end-time prophecies concerning the nations coming against Israel's capital, Jerusalem. End-time puzzle pieces are falling into place and prophetic events are moving quickly forward. We've just come back from exploring the ancient desert stronghold in Jordan called Petra, also known in the Bible in the area of Basra. Petra is the feminine form of a Greek word translated as the rock. Many Bible teachers strongly believe Petra will be occupied territory by the Israelis as a place of refuge in the future for God's people. Well, thanks partially to the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Petra has become Jordan's number one tourist destination. The Rose Rock City has also been voted one of the seven wonders of the world. Petra's past is both mysterious and exotic along the ancient spice route, but its future may be even more compelling than its past. Well, there are at least four biblical clues that suggest Petra will be the hiding place for Israelis during the period in the future called the Great Tribulation or Jacob's Trouble. Even prominent rabbis here in Israel have gathered to say that we've entered the general time of Jacob's Trouble. Clue number one about Petra as a city of refuge is found in the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 11, verse 41. It prophesies that the coming world leader, the Antichrist, will enter the glorious land of Israel and many countries shall be overthrown. But Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon shall escape, it says, from his hand. So who are Edom, Moab, and Ammon? Well, they're three ancient peoples whose territories include the natural mountain fortress of Petra, and coincide with the present nation of Jordan. It's also significant that Petra has been declared a world heritage site, so it shouldn't be attacked, bombarded, or in any way damaged during times of war. Surely a factor rendering Petra a place of refuge here in the region. Now a second biblical clue about Petra being an end time hiding place is found in the back of the book in Revelation chapter 12 which describes a great sign, 
The word great here in the Greek is mega. It's going to be a mega sign seen in heaven. A woman crowned with 12 stars representing the nation of Israel will flee to the desert to a place prepared for her by God. The closest desert stronghold that would qualify is the ghost town of Petra. Now, if you search the Bible for the Greek name of Petra, you won't find it. Instead, you'll have to search for the Hebrew equivalent, Selah, and you'll find a number of scriptures about Selah. Both Petra and Selah mean rock. Revelation 12 is a symbolic overview of all of Israel's history, including the birth of Messiah. In Revelation 12:6, we read this prophecy about a woman, Israel, who flees into the desert to a place prepared for her for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. The woman is given the wings of a great eagle to fly to the place where she'll be protected from Satan's reach. In this chapter, Revelation 12, Satan is depicted as a red dragon. And from the dragon's mouth, water is spewed like a flash flood in the wadi to sweep away the woman in a torrent. But just as in the days of Bible miracles, behold, the earth opens its mouth and swallows the river, frustrating the dragon's plan. Just as Pharaoh's armies were drowned in the Red Sea. This scenario corresponds to Jesus's warning in a briefing known as the Olivet Discourse given here on the Mount of Olives opposite the second temple. Jesus, Yeshua, gave a sweeping outline of the future. He said, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He said they'll have to run for their lives and nobody should try to collect things for the journey. And how dreadful, he said, it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray, Jesus said, that your flight won't be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there's going to be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world and never equaled again. In fact, Jesus said, if those days aren't shortened, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, the remnant, the days will be shortened. It's interesting that Jesus didn't instruct the residents of Israel's coastline to flee to the mountains. The Lord plainly said, let those who are in Judea flee. Furthermore, his reference to the Sabbath establishes the fact that he's giving a specific warning to observant Jews because they're restricted from traveling great distances on the Sabbath. He's not speaking to the church. He also urged prayer that their escape should not be in the wintertime with its rain and potential flash floods in the canyons and desert valleys. Now, a third biblical clue that suggests Petra will be a hiding place for the Israelis during the Great Tribulation is found in Isaiah chapter 63, where the Lord is seen coming from Basra, the region where Petra is generally located. He comes triumphant over his enemies. This will be just prior to the second coming in Jerusalem. The entire world will be engulfed in terrible judgments, but the believing refugees who constitute Israel's remnant will be protected in the Lord's sheepfold 
around Basra in Jordan. And keep in mind, Basra means sheepfold. A fourth fascinating biblical reference is found in Micah 2, verses 12 to 13. God says, I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as sheep in Basra. They shall make great noise because of a multitude of men. And the breaker goes up before them. They break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. So their king goes on before them, the Lord at their head. This is speaking of a mighty salvation and deliverance of the remnant. Well, we've made our ministry a lifetime commitment to pray for the peace of this city and to pray for the protection of God's people. The urgent question is, will the church wake up to understand how late it is on God's timetable? A 12th century rabbi made the most extraordinary prediction about recent events that I'd like to share with you now because it's all connected. Yehuda ben Samuel, known as Yehuda the Asid or Judah the Pious One, lived in 12th century Germany. He was consulted regularly by the Bishop of Salzburg and he also acted as a seer for a member of the royal family. Yehuda ben Samuel was well read and he kept up with world events. His father was also called the pious, as well as HaKadosh, the Holy One, and HaNabi, the prophet. They are wonderful examples of how the Lord kept his hand upon the Jewish people throughout the diaspora. Reportedly, Yehuda ben Samuel emphasized the importance of studying the Bible over the Talmud. Yehuda ben Samuel wrote the Book of the Pious, which included teachings on reverence for parents, worship of God, prayer, visiting the sick, and so forth. And he wrote Sefer HaKavod, Book of Glory, a title that sounds infinitely fascinating to me, but unfortunately, it's been lost. And it's only known by quotations that other authors have made from it. Well, God's hand was remarkably upon him, and he became a miracle worker. But the most famous aspect of his life was his prediction of the year of Israel's redemption through calculations that added up to 1917 and beyond. Yehuda ben Samuel's predictions were translated thanks to Ludwig Schneider of Israel Today magazine, and also they were recently published in Stephen Green's Christian Voice magazine. The prediction by Yehuda ben Samuel is quite extraordinary. He wrote that when the Ottoman Turks conquer Jerusalem, they will rule over Jerusalem for eight jubilees. And one jubilee is 50 years. Afterwards, he said, Jerusalem will become no man's land for one jubilee. And then in the ninth jubilee, it will once again come back into the possession of the Jewish nation, which he said would signify the beginning of the messianic end time. So during Yehuda's lifetime, in 1187, Saladin took Jerusalem from the Crusaders. Yehuda wouldn't live to see the brief Christian control of the city in 1229, nor its capture by the Muslim Mamluks in 1250. But 300 years after his death, the Ottoman Turks conquered the Mamluks in 1517 and took this holy city. If Ben Samuel's prediction was correct, the Ottoman Empire would fall in 1917. And that's what happened. 
On the 8th of December, 1917, the Ottomans gave up defending Jerusalem. They were intimidated by British warplanes overflying the city. The prophecy of Isaiah 31.5 was fulfilled to the letter. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it, and passing over, he will preserve it. On the 9th December 1917, the Turks began to leave through a northern safe passage that General Edmund Allenby had left for them. Allenby himself entered Jerusalem on foot through Jaffa Gate on the 11th December 1917. Then in the terms of the 1922 British mandate, Jerusalem stayed under Gentile control. And even after the Jewish state was declared in 1948, the eastern part of the city remained in Jordanian hands. Then 50 years later, as Ben Samuel had predicted, the Jewish people regained control over all of Jerusalem in the Six-Day War of June 1967. Have we, as Ben Samuel predicted, entered the period of the Messianic end time? Well, certainly 1967 appears to be the fulfillment of the times of the Gentiles. The Lord Jesus had prophesied in Luke 21:24 that the Jewish people would fall by the edge of the sword and would be led away captive into all nations. And he said Jerusalem would be trodden down to the Gentiles until, only until, the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. For 1,971 years, Jerusalem had been trodden down to the Gentiles. And what was to happen very recently in 2017 was Ben Samuel's 10th Jubilee. He had made no prediction further than the 9th Jubilee, but according to his prediction, we have entered the Messianic age, the age when Messiah will come the second time, and the Jewish people believe he'll come the first time. But lo and behold, he will turn out to be Yeshua, Jesus. As 2017 was drawing to a close on 6 December, American President Donald Trump, with Vice President Mike Pence at his side, announced that he would bring into force Congress's Jerusalem Embassy Act of 1995 to move the American Embassy from Tel Aviv here to Jerusalem, the capital, the seat of Israel's government. The Act of Congress also included a line that recognized the city as Israel's capital. Previous Presidents Clinton, Bush, and Obama had all passed waivers to ignore the Congressional Act, but Trump put it into action. The United States recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel 100 years almost to the day of Allenby's success over the Turks in 1917. Before the Six-Day War, the last time Jewish people had taken control of the city by force was in the Maccabean Revolt against the Greeks from 167 to 160 B.C., after their victory, the Maccabees entered Jerusalem in triumph and cleansed the temple. To this day, the Jewish festival of Hanukkah celebrates this event. In December 2017, the Jews had something new to celebrate. But immediately, many Muslims called for angry demonstrations and terrorist groups demanded a day of rage because of Trump's decree concerning this city. A UN vote against Trump's decree was held the day after Hanukkah. The Islamic nations organized the vote 
And American ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, warned that the vote would be a test of loyalty to the United States. But ultimately, the vote was a test of loyalty to the God of Israel, because Jerusalem is his city. This is the only city that God claims as his own. And he has said in this word that the Jewish people are to be the custodians of his holy city. As a result of Ambassador Haley's comments, Canada abstained, but the UK was among the nations defying Trump and Jerusalem. Besides the United States and Israel, only seven small countries, such as Micronesia, voted against the resolution. But seven is not an insignificant number. 35 nations abstained, 21 nations weren't present, and 128, including, as I said, the United Kingdom, voted in favor of the anti-Semitic resolution, regardless of Trump's threats to cut billions of dollars in aid to countries that dared to defy him. Britain's vote against President Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital put a strain on the special relationship between the UK and the USA. Well, we Christians must strive to be biblically correct, not politically correct. So what does the word of God say on this matter? The Bible, after all, should be our litmus test at all times. Zechariah 12.3 declares on that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. And God says all who try to move Jerusalem will severely injure themselves. Therefore, on December 21, 20. 17 at the United Nations headquarters, the majority of the globe's nations stood against one city on this planet. They stood against Jerusalem and they chose to injure themselves because they fought against God. Once again, the UN underscored its determination that any actions taken by Israel to impose its jurisdiction and administration on this holy city are considered to be illegal in the eyes of the nations but of course, not illegal in the eyes of God Almighty. Brazenly, the UN decreed that Israel's actions are null and void and have no validity whatsoever. The UN continually, in fact, calls upon Israel to immediately cease all so-called illegal and unilateral measures. The decrees coming out of the UN and the terrorist calls for days of rage bring to mind the words of Psalm 2. I love this psalm. It's so relevant. It says, why do the nations so furiously rage together? And why do the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah, saying, let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their courts from us. But then Psalm 2 goes on to give God's opinion, God's commentary on the news. The Psalm says, He that sits in the heavens shall laugh them to scorn. The Lord shall have them in derision. God says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now therefore be wise, O kings, and take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with fear and trembling. Kiss the sun. That's Yeshua, lest he be angry and you perish from the right way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. 
But it says, how blessed are all those who put their refuge in him. Each time the UN makes an anti-Semitic decree, it moves the world closer to fulfilling an ancient prophecy found in Zechariah 14.2. In that verse, God says, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. Well, one prominent Christian website asked the question, why didn't the different international leaders just simply call President Trump privately and say, we strongly differ with your recognition of Jerusalem. But instead, in the most public forum available, 128 nations condemned America for doing the right thing. And the resolution foolishly defied the American decision as, quote, null and void. Well, many watchmen on the walls believe that there's definitely a connection between the UN's vote and Zechariah 12.3 concerning Jerusalem because the vote confirms worldwide opposition and animosity towards a Jewish Jerusalem. The UN vote is a reminder, and it's a wake-up call of just how accurately God predicted future events. Long ago, this Bible spoke of a coalition of nations that would come against this city and try to meddle with a Jewish Jerusalem. If we can find good news in all of this, the good news is that the UN vote brings us closer to the Lord's return. It's just hard to dismiss the validity of the Bible when we see prophecy like this concerning Jerusalem being fulfilled. This is a very accurate book. Well, our friend Josh Reinstein, director of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus, said that in the past, peace negotiations always got stuck on the issue of Jerusalem. And so there was a situation where there was never going to be peace because Jerusalem was always an obstacle. But now it's been made very clear that Jerusalem is Israel's capital. The Israeli government says it's not going to negotiate on Jerusalem. So things are coming to a head big time. Well, what will ultimately happen? I'm going to draw your attention to Amos 4, verses 12 to 13, which says, O Israel, prepare to meet thy God. This new nation of Israel is rapidly moving towards the time when they will indeed meet their God. In our lifetime, we've witnessed the miraculous rise of the new Israel. This nation, again, is the object of great hatred, but the God of Israel hasn't changed. Therefore, he says in Malachi 3.6, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Isn't that marvelous? You see, Israel can't be consumed because the God of Israel can't change. And we have a living word from Amos 5.4 to give to the Jewish people. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek me, and you shall live. Will God send Israel to Petra to cause them to seek his face as never before? In Amos 4, the Lord presents several criticisms against Israel, and then he says, Yet you haven't returned to me. The purpose of this nation's afflictions, particularly in the end times, is to cause Israel to return to the Lord as a nation. It hasn't happen yet nationally, but it will happen, and all of Israel will be saved. God will allow troubles to occur, even Jacob's trouble, in order to bring Israel back to himself. A very key verse is Jeremiah 37. It speaks of Jacob's trouble, described as a time of unprecedented trouble, but he, Jacob, Israel, 
shall be saved out of it. In times past, the Jewish people weren't saved from the pogroms and the Holocaust. But during the time of Jacob's trouble, God's sure promise is that Jacob, Israel, shall be saved out of it. So let's turn to Isaiah 63, where we read about the second coming of the Messiah, when he will save the remnant of his people and take revenge on the enemies of his kingdom. Here is what Isaiah 63 says about God's vengeance on the nations and about the second coming. Verse 1, Who is this who comes from Edom with crimson-stained garments from Basra, which was the ancient capital of Edom? I'm reading from the Amplified. This one, the Messiah, who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his might, it is I, the one who speaks in righteousness, proclaiming vindication, mighty to save. In verse 2, the question is, why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? And then Messiah answers, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the peoples there was no one with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their life blood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all of my clothes for the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption has come. So it's very interesting. There's a companion verse in Revelation 19:13 that speaks of Messiah wearing a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the word of God. Isaiah 63 continues. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered, I was appalled that there was no one to uphold truth and right. So my own arm brought salvation and my wrath sustained me. And he brought the people out in the midst of his fury and brought down their strength to the earth. These are very solemn future verses of the Messiah coming out of Basra. But then verse 7 speaks of a mighty deliverance. It says, I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord. He said, surely they are my people, referring to the remnant, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. You see, we're living in a peculiar period of extended grace between the closing of the time of the Gentiles and the rising again of Israel and the second coming of Jesus. It's so easy for us to get worn down by the cares of this world, but we mustn't stop watching for the Lord's coming because the hour is very late. Today, we're witnessing increased persecution of Christians, just as the Lord warned us. And just as persecution is befalling Jews again across the world, so it is with Christians. We must realize that we're connected in our Judeo-Christian beliefs. We can't ignore the signs of the times. So I urge you to be ready for the Lord's sudden appearance. Call upon his name and the Bible promises you shall be saved. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact me through social media and also at our website, exploits.tv, where you can sign up for our free electronic newsletter, Exploits. Also, please download our Jerusalem Channel app from your app store. And so until next time, always contending for the faith, and praying earnestly for the peace of this city, I'm Christine Dar. Shalom and Maranatha.